Hello again, friends, and thank you for tuning in to the Unknown Friends podcast today. I am Rochelle Ferguson from Kitty Wham Productions, and this is my weekly book review podcast. I post a new episode first thing every Wednesday morning. This week, you are listening to episode 14, and today, the day I am releasing it, um, July 15th, marks three months exactly since episode one came out, Encountering the Divine Until We Have Faces, April 15th. This has been a weird year, and I remember at the time, um, in mid-April, thinking that, you know, coronavirus and quarantine and everything was almost over. (laughs) Isn't that funny? But I'm so glad I started the podcast because for me, it has been a wonderful project to be working on, especially in the midst of all the strangeness of this year. Even though I already felt like I was reading a lot, I've been reading even more since starting the podcast, and I, I so enjoy finding new books or rereading old ones and discussing them, and I'm, I'm just thankful I chose to give this podcasting thing a shot three months ago, even though I had no clue what I was doing. So just thanks for sticking it out with me as I learn the process, and I do hope to continue doing this for a long time. It's, it's a real joy for me. So as promised last week, today I am discussing Willa Cather, an American author from the beginning of the 20th century. A couple of her most famous works are O Pioneers, as well as My Antonia. I have not read either of those, and in fact, this is my first time encountering Willa Cather's work at all. So I recently read her novel, Death Comes for the Archbishop, which is what I'm reviewing today. From the title, I think it sounds like a murder mystery, Death comes for the Archbishop, you know. But uh, it is not remotely anything like a murder mystery. It's not even really about death, um, or technically about an archbishop, since the main character um, doesn't become an archbishop till pretty late in the novel. But first, about Willa Cather, briefly. She was born in 1873 in Virginia, but her family moved to Nebraska when she was nine. Like many of the writers I have already discussed on the podcast, Cather did love reading as a child, and she started writing fairly young too. However, when she went to college, she intended at first to major in science and wanted to become a doctor. But as she continued to write, she changed her mind and ended up getting an English degree instead. After graduating, she then moved to Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, where she did a lot of different things. She wrote, she worked for a while as a critic and editor, and she also taught at a couple different high schools, taught everything from English to Latin to algebra. And then about 10 years after moving to Pittsburgh, that's when she got her first collection of short stories published. And after that, she moved to New York City to work as an editor and writer there. And it was there that her first novel, titled Alexander's Bridge, was published serially in 1912 when she was 38. 
She stayed in New York City for the rest of her life, and from then on, she just steadily became a more and more well-established writer, and she even won a Pulitzer Prize in 1923 for her writing. However, while she remained a popular author throughout her lifetime, eventually critics did start disparaging her work, um, while she was still alive even, claiming that essentially she wasn't keeping up with the times. Her stories were too idealized and her style wasn't uh, experimental enough. Well, later in life, it is worth noting her works did start to get a little darker. I don't entirely know why. I know in the year 1938, a close friend of hers and one of her brothers both died. And of course, World War II was looming at that point. And so her last couple of novels published around that time are less optimistic in tone. But she kept writing. She kept getting awards in the 1940s. And then it was in April of 1947 that she died of a cerebral hemorrhage at age 73. Now, one thing I haven't yet mentioned, Willa Cather was raised in a Christian home and maintained the Christian faith all her life. Her family was Baptist, but as an adult, she eventually joined the Episcopal Church. Now, a couple of her novels are sometimes referred to as her Catholic novels, and Death Comes for the Archbishop is one of those. It was published in 1927, in the middle of her writing career. The book follows two main characters, two uh, French Catholic priests who come to New Mexico in the mid-19th century, essentially as missionaries to this new territory just recently acquired by America. Now, at this time, Catholicism is already present in this area, but it's a bit shaky. So Rome sends these two priests to help um, shore up the religion of this territory. They come to teach the locals and just deepen the Catholic influence in the area, as well as to weed out the corruption of some of the priests already established throughout the territory. So, I mean, it's a huge job and a huge place for just two guys. But as you read and you watch them maintain both their friendship with each other and their commitment to this task to which they've been appointed, it becomes really an inspiring story. And in part, a true story. The book is based on the lives of the real first Archbishop of Santa Fe, New Mexico, Jean-Baptiste Lamy, and the first Bishop of Denver, Joseph Mashbuf. I am, I am so far from confident on that pronunciation. I profusely apologize to anyone who may be listening who knows French. I am doing my best. Anyway, this novel is based on the lives of two real men. And it's also historically based in that it follows various true events from history, and it incorporates a few other characters who were also real people. For example, uh, Kit Carson makes multiple appearances in the novel. But back to the two main characters. 
In Willa Cather's narrative, she exchanges um, the names of the real historical figures for the names Father Latour and his friend Father Vaillant. I'm sure I'm mispronouncing those two, but I'm going to stick with the anglicized rendition and be as consistent as I can with it. Now, these names are interesting because they seem to be deliberately chosen with meanings that reveal something about the men themselves. So Latour means tower and Valant means valiant. Now, Father Latour, the eventual archbishop of the title, he has this stately kind of character. He's intellectual, he's kind, um, and his mind is set on things above. He's almost a beacon to those around him. So a name that means tower, of course, fits him well. Father Valant, on the other hand, has a very robust personality. He is fearless. He can be blunt sometimes. I, I wouldn't go so far as to say he, he's abrasive. He is compassionate, but essentially he is a down-to-earth and energetic man. So likewise, his name, meaning valiant, makes a lot of sense. I read that one of Cather's contemporary critics called these two priests the Peter and Paul of the desert, Father Valant being Peter and Father Latour Paul. I think that's a helpful analogy to give you in just a couple words a pretty clear picture of these two priests. So the progress of the story itself is not like a lot of traditional novels in that it's almost more like a series of somewhat related short stories than one long cohesive story. It starts with the commissioning of Father Latour and Father Valant to go to the New Mexico Territory and help build the church there, and it ends with the deaths of both men. So in that sense, there is a big picture narrative. The novel follows their lives as missionaries. But within that, the story is broken up into many small segments there's, you know, there's a local priest somewhere who's not behaving like a priest should, and Fathers Latour and Valant have to go and deal with him. Or then they, you know, run across a murderer and his wife, and they help rescue her and bring the man to justice. And then they have to travel somewhere, and that journey is its own little story, and so on. It's, it's essentially a long string of vignettes, little windows into their missionary life. And those are only connected in the sense that they're all just situations the priests encounter as they try to shepherd these people in this foreign land. And I mean, there are some recurring characters between the stories and things, but you just don't have a strong sense of a big goal the book and the characters are moving toward, other than like, make progress in New Mexico. That's, that's the goal. So here's the thing. There's nothing wrong with this approach to novel writing. Um, but since I'm doing this review, um, I have to be honest, this is not my favorite structure for a book. I appreciate the content of Death Comes for the Archbishop, and I'm certainly glad I read it. But what doesn't strongly appeal to me is the book's episodic um, and somewhat digressive format. The element I latch onto the most in stories, I, I think I can say always, is 
character development. I like to be able to follow a character's desires and needs and watch how the process of the story grows the character over time, guides them to achieve or perhaps to reevaluate what they want and need. But to track that development, you really need a clear linear structure to the story. The book opens, the character has identifiable strengths and weaknesses, and A leads to B, B leads to C, the character is tested and stretched, and step by step, they learn whatever they need to learn in the story. So because I am so drawn to linear character development, in contrast, I find it harder to invest in an episodic kind of story, one that jumps around from event to unrelated event. I think it's less cohesive and so less compelling. So for what it's worth, Death Comes for the Archbishop is pretty episodic rather than linear. Some people would really like that approach. So none of this is is a criticism of the book. It's just me expressing my own preference. Now, secondly, I am also not a huge fan of the book's primary subject matter. And again, this is this is not a problem with the book. It's a problem with me, um, or maybe not a problem, but it's it's my opinion. I think my favorite books are often um, at core about family, or at least about relationships of some kind, friendship, um, community. I'm thinking of books I've praised most highly so far on this podcast. Peace Like a River comes to mind, definitely about family. Uh, Wives and Daughters, just last week. Gilead, um, Persuasion, Till We Have Faces. They all revolve around parents and children, um, husbands and wives, or siblings. And so while the two main characters in Death Comes for the Archbishop are close friends, I would not say that their friendship is the main point of the novel. You could probably make the argument that it is, but I think their friendship is subsidiary to other themes. If anything, this book is about what it's like to live in a kind of exile, as strangers in a strange land. The opposite, really, of community. The main characters have no family, or none with them, and even their friendship is secondary to their duty to enter and serve this strange land. So culture is an important topic in Death Comes for the Archbishop, but not really community, only culture in the sense of foreign culture and how to understand and cope with what is foreign to you. Community and culture may not sound that different, but in community, we usually focus on what we have in common, whereas when studying culture, we're often looking for what sets us apart. So because of the book's structure, it is a little difficult to give any clearer sense of the plot than I've already given, but I can get into the novel's themes a bit more. This aspect of living in exile, ministering to a foreign culture is central to the story. And number one, I think the thematic heart of the novel is the commitment of Father Latour and Father Valant to their calling. It's not easy. Um, there's this scene at one point 
from before they had ever left Europe, recalling um, Father Valant in turmoil, feeling um, ripped in two, torn between duty to his family and what he felt was his duty to God. And fairly late in the novel, the two priests have to choose between their friendship and their separate callings. Father Valant has to choose yet again whether he will stay in New Mexico with Father Latour, who is like a brother, or leave for Colorado where help is needed, and he feels called there. At each step of the way, these men recommit themselves to their calling, and every difficulty they face in this strange land only draws them closer to God. And that's beautiful. Now, I think aspects of their Catholic missionary life are somewhat lost on a Protestant reader like me. And of course, there was much in the novel I could relate to and certainly could respect, but I just imagine a Catholic reader would be able to appreciate some of the details of Death Comes for the Archbishop more deeply than I was able to. That said, however, I want to point out Willa Cather is not blind to faults in the church, the possibility of corruption even in a religious system. And of course, corruption is by no means limited to Catholicism. This applies to any branch of Christianity um, and any religion. So in Cather's novel, you have several priests, Father Latour and Father Valant encounter and have to deal with who are grossly abusing their authority, um, who are hypocrites in one way or another, maybe profiting financially from their position or what have you. And so something I appreciate about Cather's writing is that she doesn't try to elevate Catholicism specifically above the potential for corruption, which all religious institutions are subject to. She's honest. You find unscrupulous people everywhere, and so you just have to try to identify them, stop what they're doing, and repair what they've already done to the best of your ability. And that's what Father Latour and Father Valant do. So Cather, I think, gives a pretty balanced view overall. So last thing, I emphasized what I think is the primary theme at work here, the priest's dedication to their calling in New Mexico. But sort of a flip side of that, which is also important, is just the difficulty of relating to or changing the people who have lived in this place for centuries. You have Mexicans as well as Native Americans, and this is this is the mid-1800s, right? A, a restless time. The Navajo people are being forced out of their land, and Willa Cather approaches that topic with um, sensitivity and sympathy, as do Fathers Latour and Valant. Um, and they're sensitive too as they try to shepherd the Mexicans, who are the people they chiefly work with. The culture and the local religion of this people is ingrained and has been for just ages. It's almost in the place itself, the way the people treat and think about the land they live on. They've shaped it, yes, but more so it has shaped them and what they believe. And Fathers Latour and Valant recognize that they're not going to really change the culture of this land. 
They try to bring people to God, but they're careful not to expect to renovate the way the society itself works. And this is a tricky issue, right? Uh, I have no experience in this, and I can't even imagine all the questions missionaries face in this kind of situation. What aspects of the local mindset and way of life should be challenged? What shouldn't? Um, but I can see that it takes great care and patience um, and wisdom. And Willa Cather's portrait of these two missionary priests communicates that reality. So while this wasn't the kind of book that I read and then rave about, I, I struggled getting into it and loving it because of the episodic structure and the absence of the topics that I care most deeply about. But that said, I am sure many people would um, and do love Death Comes for the Archbishop. I think it just depends on your personality as well as your background as to what styles or subjects appeal to you the most. This book didn't really do it for me, but I still say it's a good book. So if, from my description of its setting and characters and themes, it sounds like a novel you think you would enjoy, by all means, I recommend it to you. But if you can relate to the opinions I've expressed about this work being a struggle for me, then you probably wouldn't find it to be the most rewarding use of your reading time. If you have already read Death Comes for the Archbishop, and especially if your opinion of the book differs from mine, I would appreciate hearing your thoughts. You can email me with any comments or questions at kittywam at gmail.com, or you can send me a message on Instagram or Facebook. You can find links to my social media on my website, kittywamproductions.com. Thank you for listening to the podcast today, and next week I will be back with a double episode. Not longer than usual in length, but I will be reviewing two books instead of just one, like I did way back in episode six with those two works of nonfiction. But next week I'll be sharing two comic novels, both by British authors. It'll be a lighter episode since I'm focusing on classic British humor, but even though the content may be less deep than most of the works I review, I decided these two books are just too delightful not to share with you. So I hope you tune in next week for that special episode coming up, and until then, I hope you have a wonderful week. <laughs>